Join me in prayer. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us what it is that you've done on our behalf. Lord, stir in our hearts. Lord, come Holy Spirit. Stir in our hearts to receive you afresh today. Lord, I pray you give me help as I preach. Help me to be clear. Lord, and help your word to come through. In Jesus' name, amen. for a walk in our neighborhood, uh, and for the first time we met our neighbor who lives around the bend. And we've been living there for four years, the first time we've met this guy, and we stopped and talked to him for about 20 minutes. We had a great conversation, heard a little bit of his background and story, and invariably, as oftentimes happens, people will ask me, so what do you do? And I'm like, I work at uh, Grace Anglican Church, the church on 17 at the Bell Tower, right before you hit uh, Walmart. And I said, so if you're looking for a church, it's a great group of people. It's a great church. We'd love for you to join us. And I could see like the fear in his eyes. He was like, oh no. And so I backpedaled a little bit and I was like, we also have this thing called Alpha. And it's a great opportunity for you to come ask your questions regardless of what you believe and you're going to be respected. Um, And he shared this. He said this, well, I don't go to church. I believe in God. I try to be a good person. Hopefully that's enough. And I'd say a lot of the people that you come across on a daily basis, that's would summarize what they believe. I believe in God, that God exists. I try to be a good person and hopefully that's enough. Some of you in this room might say, well, yeah, that kind of summarizes what I believe. You know, what, what more is there? Is there more necessary? And the challenge with that perspective is there's a few questions that that Uh, belief system begs. First off is, well, what specifically do you believe about God? In God's Word, He gives us some very specific things to believe about who He is. The second question is, how good is good enough? Right? How do you know you've been good enough? And then thirdly is, how can people be made right with God? That's really, I didn't want to, you know, I just met the guy. I'm not going to kind of cross swords with him theologically. Um, But Really, that's what that statement really gets to. And that's a statement that all of us um, are asking ourselves. You know, we're going through life pretty, pretty easily right now, maybe, or just going through some challenges. But on our deathbed, we're going to be asking that question in a very pointed sense of how can I be made right with God? How can I know that I have a relationship with God that will last through my life, but also into eternal life? And some of you guys might say, well, I know that there's more than just what your neighbor believes. There's more to it than that. You know, Christianity is about more than that. But could you articulate why? What more there is to believe? And where our goodness comes from? And so for you, maybe you're saying, yeah, I know that there's more than that. But how would you explain it to somebody? How would you share the more with them? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. How can people be made right with God? How can you and I know in our beings that we are right with God. So if you have your Bibles, turn them open to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. There's also Pew Bibles in front of you. It's on page 966. And the Pew Bible is 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to start in verse 21. And while you're going there, I'm going to share you a little bit about where we're going today. First off, we're going to be, well, we're going to be looking at three things. First off, our standing before God. Secondly, our status with God. And thirdly, a story. So standing, status, and story is where we're going. So let's first look at the standing before God. So like I mentioned before, the first challenge with this idea of I believe in God 
and I try to be a good person, hopefully that's enough, is that how good is good enough? How do we know that we're good enough to have a relationship with God, to be reconciled to God, to be able to spend eternity with Him? And what that often does is lead to a little bit of a mental gymnastics. Now, all of us in this room can point to areas of our life, things that we've done, relationships that we have, that we would say we've done some good in this world. You know, we serve the community in some way. You know, our job is given back in some way. We've loved our friends or our family members, and there's some good in our lives. But if we're honest with ourselves, all of us would also say that there's some things in our life that aren't so good. Some real selfish tendencies and habits that we have. Some ways that if we look back on our past, they still haunt us a little bit. The way we treated somebody or something that we did or something that we said. That there's things that we know we should do that we don't do and there's things that we do that we know we shouldn't do. And so what that oftentimes leads to is what I'm going to call justifying yourself. Trying to say, well, you know, come on, it's not a big deal. Like all of us have been in a conversation, a tense conversation with a coworker or a spouse or a friend or a family member and it's heated and you say something or you do something that's really selfish and hurtful to that person and you can stop and you're like, well, I didn't really mean that. And you're like, come on, like, I, you know, it's really, this is really hard, you know, like I'm a good person, like don't you see that? I'm trying my best. Like, and what is that? That's justifying yourself. Trying to say, well, I'm better than, I'm not, I'm not that bad of a person. And the other person's saying, yeah, maybe you are. Yeah, you are. Um, they don't ever say it, but uh, sometimes they do. Okay, so what does the scriptures tell us about our standing before God? That's what we, what we try to tell ourselves. Or what does the scriptures tell us? Romans 3, 10 through 12, gives us probably the clearest picture of what God tells us our standing before him is. And he sees all of us. He says this, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 goes on to say, And the wages of this sin is death. Physical death, but also eternal death. Eternal separation from God. That's what the Bible tells us. So our, our, our own experience tells us, well, I don't know if I'm right before God. And then the Bible says, no, no, you're definitely not right before God. Due to our sin and selfishness, none of us will be able to stand before them, before God. That we stand guilty and condemned. All right, let's, pr- let's close in prayer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but our passage in, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, we get one of the clearest pictures in Scripture of what Jesus did to totally transform our standing before God. So if you were to share with somebody how our standing before God, how we can stand before God, this would be the perfect verse to take them to. So underline it. If you have somebody that, that, that you know, my neighbor's way of understanding the world, that describes them, underline this. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Write it on the front of your, you know, the front page of your Bible so you can reference it. This is a perfect example of to, walk, to walk them through this. And I want to, I want to use a physical illustration because uh, I always want to be preaching so that an elementary school student could understand what I'm sharing. But what I've also realized is if I can't preach it clearly enough for an elementary school student, uh, person to understand it, probably the adults in the room are going to forget it after a couple weeks. So this is for you as well, adults. So 
Go ahead and throw up that verse on the screen, Francis. So what this verse tells us is that for our sake, out of love for us, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So what this verse tells us and what the Bible tells us is that Jesus knew no sin. I'm going to put, you guys never get to see these robes in the 11 o'clock service. So I'm going to use them. Um, what, what, what I'm going to, uh, this robe, this white robe is going to represent externally Jesus's internal life and the life that he lived. That Jesus lived, he knew no sin. That means that he, although he was tempted in every way that we are, had the same human experience that we had. There was never a sinful word that left his mouth. There was never a sinful thought that came to his mind. He was always kind, loving, and gentle with every person he met. And he was always perfectly obedient to God. And so this represents Jesus, that he knew no sin. And what the scriptures tell us is that on the cross, Jesus, it says that God made him to be sin. And what that means is that Jesus took on our sin. So this black robe represents us. Uh, that what Romans tells us and what the scriptures tell us is that this represents externally what is our life internally. That there is sins in all of our lives. There's, there's brokenness. There's things we've done. There's things we've left undone. That if we stand before God, this is us. That there's a blackness, there's a darkness. That we stand condemned before God. And what the scriptures tell us is that on the cross, Jesus, who knew no sin, took on our sin on the cross. So much so that, that when God looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw your sin and my sin and the sins of the whole world. The theological word for that is that our sin was imputed, was counted to Jesus on the cross. So that in him, you and I could become the righteousness of God. We could become the righteousness of God. And what that means is on the cross, when Jesus died, what he did is he took our sin on himself and all of our sin was nailed to the tree. All of your sin and my sin was totally separated from us on the cross. And that we not only are forgiven, but we are actually given Jesus' righteousness. That our standing before God is totally different. That when God looks at you and me, even in the midst of our sin, if we are in Christ, even in the midst of our challenging, challenges, even in the midst of our doubts, that if we are in Christ, if we trust Christ, if we have the faith of a mustard seed, when Jesus looks at us, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' perfect righteousness, his sinless and spotless life. We get a new standing before God. It's what Paul calls justification, that we are justified by Jesus. That we get his righteousness as our standing. And what that means is that we don't have to justify ourselves any longer. We don't have to prop ourselves up and try to earn it and make ourselves look better than we are and do that whole mental gymnastics because we can stand before God as sinners and say, it's only by Jesus. It's only by the cross that I can stand before God. And that when God looks at us, what he sees is Jesus. Does that make sense? Are you tracking? Is that clear enough? You got it? Front row? All right. So that means we have a new legal standing before God. But that gives us a, a somewhat of a picture. But I want to share a story, the first part of a story, that really illustrates what this looks like played out. 
Um, and a couple months ago, I was at a leadership event um, in downtown Jacksonville for some business leaders, and there was a guy there that was uh, sharing his testimony and story, and his name was Ike Brown. Some of you guys might have heard of him. Um, works for the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, and he got up and shared that he was, um, one morning he woke, got woken up really early to the sound of a uh, knock at his door, came downstairs, and his chief was there, his sergeant was there, his lieutenant was there, and the chaplain was there. And if you're in service, the military, the police, you know what that means. Something terribly has happened. And he said, well, what's, what's going on? And they said, Ike, your son, Ike Jr., has been shot and he's been killed. Every parent's worst nightmare. And what had happened is a man named Takoya Kreiner had come into the house where his son was hanging out with a few friends. His son was 21 years old and was playing video games. And Takoya shot his son and killed him. And he told about how painful those next few months and years were, going through the, the painful process of burying his son. And then the three years he waited for the trial to happen. Just agony. And it says that on the, the, the first day of the trial, for the first time, he saw Takoya uh, face to face. And I want you to, to watch this video as he unpacks what that experience was like for him. I always said if you, you know, hurt one of my children, one of my family members, you know, man, I'm going to get you. you know, I'm going to get you. You know, I hate you. I'm supposed to hate you, you know. I, I convinced myself, you know, God want me to get you. You know, this is my child, you know. And, and uh, of course, I get there and, you know, he comes out and I'm seeing him for the first time. I loved him. Didn't know him. Never seen him before. Didn't know his family, didn't know his background, but I loved him. And I still can't explain it, you know. Uh, I didn't have the feelings I thought I was gonna have. I know for sure now it was God's love, you know, God's grace. And, and later I would say to myself, you know, wow, maybe he is doing something in me that I didn't even know was, was taking place, you know, because I questioned myself. What's wrong with me? You know, what's wrong with me? Why don't I feel this way? Why don't I, you know, why don't I feel the way I, I thought I would feel? But through all my whys and, and wondering, I still, you know, trusted that hey, God was in control and I just forgave him. What I shared that day that he didn't share in the video is that when Takoya walked out, he said, he just looked like my son. He reminded me of my son, Ike Jr. And it says, when I saw him, I, I loved him. And that's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He's reconciled us to God so that when God looks at us, what he sees is his son Jesus' perfect righteousness and he loves us. Therefore, we have a new standing before God that Christ makes us right with God. That's who makes us right before God. But it's, we don't just get a new legal standing before God. We also get a new status. 
we get a new status in relationship to God. And I want to look at Romans 5, 10 through 11. It says this, that while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. What that says is our status before God was we were in conflict with God. We were enemies of God, but that we've been reconciled. And that word reconciled is a relational language. That it's not just forgiveness and I guess I'll, it's going to be okay, but it's, it's a reconciliation of relationship. And look in our verse in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 and 18, it says, All this is from God. Every single bit of it is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And then Paul goes on to say, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Therefore, not just our legal standing, but our relational status before God has changed. We've gone from being in conflict to God to being reconciled. Therefore, we can have peace with God. And we can know our past. We can have peace with our past because God is at peace with our past. Our present, we can be at peace with God. And even in the midst of the struggles of our future, we can be at peace with God. We have a new status Christ has made us right. He's reconciled us to God. And I want to show you the second part of the story now um, because I think it shows uh, the, the divine power of reconciliation. Go ahead. Peace. After Takoya was sentenced and he went off to prison, uh, I always kept him in my prayers, you know, and uh, wonder, you know, how's it going? You know, what is he doing, you know? How's he surviving, you know? And so I wanted to talk to him. So I would write letters and I'd throw them away, you know? You, know, you don't want to hear from me, you know? What will he say, you know? He, you know, I don't want to hear from you. I'm doing three life sentences, you know? And so all this is going through my mind. So I would never mail them, you know? And, uh, and one day I decided, you know, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a letter and I'm going to send it to him. And I did just that, you know? And in that letter, I, you know, I. I said, hello, you know, this is Mr. Brown. I said, uh, I hope things are as well as they can be. You know, I, I hope all is well. And, and uh, I let him know that, you know, he was always in my prayers. And, and uh, I'd always be, you know, mindful of him and thinking of him. And uh, at the end of the letter, I said, I need to ask you for a favor. I said, I miss my son, Ike Jr. And I said, uh, I'd like you to fill in for him till we all get to heaven. You know, we can write, we can laugh, we can talk, you know, and I said, and if not, I understand. And I, I mailed the letter off, you know, and, and it took about three weeks to a month, you know, to get a response back, you know, and, and I get a letter and I'm scared to open it, <laughs> you know, because I don't know what it's going to say. I don't know, you know, if you're cursing me out, leave me alone. I don't want to hear from you, you know, and, and uh, so I opened that letter and it said, Dear Mr. Brown, you know, I now know that God is real. And I told God that if I heard from you, I would give my life to him the rest of my days. And uh, he was sharing this with me and he said, Mr. Brown, you asked me for a favor. You asked me, can I fill in for you know, Ike Jr. And he said, I'm not qualified, but if you'll have me, from this point on, you're my dad and I'm your son.
Mr. Corey Kreiner, and um, I'm currently serving a life imposed sentence. This man, Mr. Brown, that I had come to know and grew to love, and to now call, you know, my dad, my father. You know, God has such such a greater plan. We're just parts and characters in the, in the role. This was an opportunity, you know, um, God was using me and him as vessels, you know, to, to not just show, you know, people that was around or, you know, close to or familiar with our, our relationship or our situation, but the world, what love was, you know, what love truly was, you know, some of the divine attributes of love. At first it was it was it was strange. And you know, over time, I was able to, you know, realize, you know, this is beautiful. And I learned to embrace it more and more. And that love that I began to have grew more and more for my dad. And I was just waiting for this opportunity to, uh, to be in his presence, to see and feel it. And when I was given the opportunity to see him for the first time and, um, back in 2009, he ran up on me and he wrapped me up in the bear hug. I didn't know what to expect. I was like, whoa, here you go. <laughs> but I seen him, I didn't know what to expect. You know what I mean? I, I really didn't. I, did, I, I didn't because I was waiting for this opportunity. And when he ran up on me, I was in shackles and chains, you know. I didn't know what to expect. You know, when he ran up on me, he wrapped me in the bear hug, told me he loved me, squeezed me tight. You know, and it just felt, it felt good, man. It, it felt real good. I knew, that's when I knew it was genuine for real. We as, you know, just flesh and blood, mortal beings, we're given a lot of things that we don't deserve. And that's what grace is. It was a beautiful thing. And this is why, you know, I, I embraced it. I embraced this opportunity. Christ died for us. Uh, through all of our mistakes, through all of our faults, He forgives us. It's just as simple as asking, you know. He won't find you. You know, He won't hold it against you. You know, He won't, he won't hold your mistakes against you. Just ask for forgiveness. Believe God. I know it looks bad, you know. I know you're struggling, you see no way out, but I'm telling you, if you would trust him, I just tell you to trust God, no matter what, trust God. I love what Takoya said in that. He said, it's an opportunity for us to show the divine attribute of God's love. And that story shows a human story that shows us what God has done for us. And laying down his life for us through Christ and reconciling us. And I love that, that idea that it's not just like, okay, you know, uh, I forgave Tekoya and said, okay, but he was reconciled to him. So that the first time that they met, he, it said, Tekoya said he ran up on him and gave him a bear hug and squeezed him tight. And that's the type of relationship God wants with each of us. And this is his love letter that says, if you will have me, I will be your father if you will be my son, if you will be my daughter. And so I think there's three ways we can respond to this text. 
to the beauty of the gospel. First off is there's an invitation to be reconciled to God. That if any of you are in here and you said, you know what, I'm just trying to be a good person. I believe God exists. There's more for you than that. You don't have to hope that that's going to be enough. That in Christ, if you trust in him, you confess your sins and say, I want Jesus. He's enough. You can be reconciled and justified by God. So the first thing is, if that's you, pray a prayer this morning. Talk with the prayer teams right after this. They can walk you through the process of praying that prayer. The second thing is an invitation to deepen your relationship with God. If I were to go around to each of you and say, well, where, how, how close do you feel to God right now? A lot of us would say, you know, God feels kind of distant or I feel really just busy right now. I don't have a lot of time for him. God loves us so much that this is what he did for us so we could be near to him. So I would encourage you. In the next two weeks, we have some of the most powerful uh, remembrances of what Christ did for us and celebrations of that on Palm Sunday, on Sunday, on Tenebrae service on Friday, and then Easter Sunday. So engage with those services. And also, if you haven't read your Bible in a while, this would be a great time to pick it up and read through the roads of the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection and ask God to open your hearts and meditate on what he's done for you. So lean into the relationship that he bought for you. And then finally, there's an, I want to encourage you um, in this text, there's an invitation to us as followers of Jesus to invite others. And in the passage, it says, Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, entrusting to us the me message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. That's you and me that get to share with people like my neighbor. That you don't have to hope that you can know that you're reconciled to God because of what Jesus did for us. And so I want to encourage you, in your bulletins, you have an invitation to our Easter services. Take this out. Put this in your wallet, in your purse, and look for an opportunity of somebody in your workplace, somebody at your school, that you could come to hear about what Jesus has done for us and reconciling us to God. Because it's Christ that makes us right before God. Let's go share that with other people. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, I pray or that each of us would know in our souls that our sins are forgiven and that we now stand before you righteous in Christ and reconciled to you through Christ. Lord, I pray that we would ponder and marvel and live into that mystery the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.